0: Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question, what's the fucking point? So let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that we meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around psychology, human behavior, consciousness, spirituality, philosophy, and more. All with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome back to What's the Fucking Point? It's episode number 38, and I'm so glad you're here listening. Today, we're wrapping up our month exploring the theme of story. And if you didn't get to hear last week's interview yet with Drew Hicks, it's really awesome. Make sure to go back and give it a listen. And it's kind of funny because four out of my last five interviews have been dudes, and in the previous 20-plus episodes, there was only one guy I interviewed. So it wasn't intentional, but it's always interesting when we notice patterns or cycles just sort of like, hmm, why might that be? And I'm just trusting it because these were all great interviews with these guys, and I hope you've enjoyed them. I have a couple of badass ladies on deck for you as we start to move into our next theme of wild. Another brief podcast housekeeping item. I've been feeling recently that moving to bi weekly episodes is what feels right for the time being. And I'm trying to honor that despite my inner critic voices and all of that crap, because in general in life, I'm trying to pay attention to how rhythms feel. And allow that to inform when I might be entering a different cycle with something, which is something that I really invite you to explore too. We are so used to ignoring our cyclical nature in modern society. It can be 70 degrees wherever we go. We can have whatever produce we want, regardless of what's actually in season. The list goes on. And we can really benefit a lot from starting to pay attention to our natural cycles as human animals, as engaging with the world around us, our energy, all of that. So all of that to say, the podcast will likely be moving more to bi-weekly for the time being. I might also throw in some extra solo podcast episodes when it feels right, So keep an eye out for those. And remember that I'm always super open to any topics, guests, etc., that you guys want to hear on the show. Couple of other things to share with you before we get into the interview for today. One, I am starting to develop a group coaching program that I will be launching later this fall. This will be my first foray into doing something like this, and at my subject matter, which I'm not going to talk about quite yet, but I will tell you I'm super excited about it. I think a number of you are going to be really jazzed about it too, so just stay tuned on the podcast and on the Instagrams for more details on that soon. Um, this weekend, I get to go out into the woods camping in the Smokies and lots of travel coming up this summer, so I'm also trying to just enjoy stillness here at home. And other things going on, I just finished reading the book The Overstory by Richard Powers, and it has taken the spot as my favorite book of all time up to this point. It's just incredible. I feel like I need to sit with the book for a while before I can really speak in a super articulate way about it. I might write a blog post about it at some, or something at some point soon, but wow, wow. Wow, wow. It's a fiction book. It won the Pulitzer Prize last year, it came out in 2018. And it's about trees, and it's about people, and it's about our environmental crisis. And it's just incredible. I can't recommend it more. Check it out. The audiobook is also great. Another thing I've been working on is I am taking an online course called Reset by Jocelyn K. Gly. And I've listened to her podcast, Hurry Slowly, for a while, and I love her newsletter that she sends out. It's uh, You can subscribe to that free newsletter at her website, jkgly.com, that's G-L-E-I, and I'll put that link in the show notes as well. But I'm really loving her reset course. It's closed, the doors are closed right now, but she's run it a few times and will continue, I think, running it. Uh, periodically, and I highly recommend that you check it out next time she opens the doors for it. Okay, without further ado, let me tell you about our guest for today, Harris Third, who was incredibly kind and graceful when I showed up at his office all excited and jazzed because I'd had this new equipment, my fancy new mixer, and my our mics that we recently got or my husband got me for my birthday a really nice new mic for singing, and I figured, well, surely this will be good for podcast stuff too. It's a high-quality blue mic, and got all my stuff set up. I had tested it the night before in GarageBand, and it worked okay. It worked fine, and then I show up at Harris's office and none of it was working right. Oh, thank goodness. He is also a podcaster, Story Podcast. Highly recommend checking that out. And uh, he had his gear. So we were able to record a good quality interview. Thank goodness. And I so appreciated his kindness um, for that because I was super embarrassed. So... Um, Harris III started his career as an award winning illusionist and has since expanded his work as a keynote speaker, a storyteller, and an event curator. He founded Historia Collective, which is an event and production company that creates meaningful and transformative experiences with live events, including the annual Story Conference and a variety of other mediums. So you'll hear us talk a little bit about the Story Conference in this episode. I will also have links to that in the show notes. The theme for this year's event is in between, like liminal space, which relates a lot to what Drew and I talked about on the last episode. I really hope that I can go this year. I mentioned on the interview that I got tickets to go in 2018 and then I wasn't actually able to attend, but I'm waiting on one more thing to get scheduled and as long as that doesn't conflict, I will be at Story Conference this year in Nashville. So check that out. Links in the show notes. You can find Harris online at harristhe on Twitter and Instagram at harristhe and that's all spelled Harris-I-I-I. I, I. Also, just one more note here. There's a fair amount of discussion on Christianity in this episode, which is Not my typical conversation around spirituality, but I really appreciated Harris's perspective and knowledge. So even if that's not how you identify, as it's not really how I identify, I think that a lot of common ground can be found and discussed, and it's all about recognizing those sort of universal truths. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So I, I little dill Instagram, Twitter stalking before, of course, as, you, you as one out. does when one prepares for an interview. <laughs> um, and you have a third adorable little member of your family that just came home, right?
1: I do, yeah. She'll be five months old in about a week, yeah. less than a week, I guess. And yeah, number three. Awesome. Um, it's been, I was joking around before we started recording that, you know, it's, People who say it's hard to go from one to two kids, um, but that it's easy to go from two to three are liars. That it's every time you add (laughs) another member to your family, it's all hard. So it's interesting how we debate about no, it's easier to go from this number to this number. It's you're having a child (laughs) and raising them and protecting them and nurturing them. And yeah,
0: you're literally responsible for them at all times. That is correct. Yes,
1: that is very correct. Yeah,
0: I don't think the same is true with cats. Um, I'm a cat person. (laughs) I'm a, I'm a good aunt. I'm a cat person, and uh, I, although I think I don't qualify for crazy cat lady status until I hit three, so I'm I'm holding That's firm too. It's
1: funny that yeah, I've never thought about animals. It's a uh, we had chickens one time, um, and because I grew up on a farm, nice. and then later in life, wow, my wife and I had chickens just for a few years, and I called my grandfather. I was like, hey, we're gonna get some chickens. How many should I get? And I'll never forget his exact words. He's like, well. The same amount of work to take care of two that it is to take care of twenty. So, I was which like, which is kind of true. With yeah, because basically you yeah. put them where they go. You still have to wake up at a certain point and go. Yep. Pour in food or pour in water. Now you have to pour in more food or more water or clean up more or whatever. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's you have to go to that spot to do that. Exactly. Sure. Totally. So, yeah,
0: yeah. Through sad turns of events and the circle of life, we have now one chicken. And it is exactly, my husband, bless his heart, does the chicken work and it is still exactly the same amount the of work, chicken but work. he yeah. loves that you rooster. You might as well get a few more chickens. I know that's the conundrum right now, <laughs> but yes, real
1: but They problems. don't, they don't come to you and whine and complain like some animals or certainly like children. Yes. So you throw another child into the mix. Well, now you have three people that need you to take them places and things from you and yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Versus, here's some food, and you throw it on the ground, and they take care of themselves. <laughs> right,
0: yep. So one of the things that made me think that made me think of was the video on your website, the real magic yeah. video, which is beautiful. Thank you. And um, that that really captured how, when you had your first kid, your whole mm-hmm. definition of magic sort of changed, right? Yeah. So I would love to hear more about just kind of your your journey from being an illusionist into how your definition of magic has evolved.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a long story. I grew up on a farm in Southeast Tennessee. Um, the best way to explain it is really that I think because I grew up in a on a farm with parents who have minimum wage jobs, we didn't have a lot of stuff, and I wasn't good at much. Didn't have access to a lot of things, and therefore I wasn't involved but much at school and got made fun of and bullied and picked on for being the weirdo kid that sucked at all sports and (laughs) and so that kind of led to this experience of being nine years old and I was obsessed with baseball even though I wasn't any good at playing it and that year I remember asking for a baseball glove I went to the store picked out the perfect glove told all of my family and extended family I'm like this is what I want for Christmas this year Christmas morning comes no baseball glove And the only gift I remember getting that year was a box of magic tricks from my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And um, at first, I still wasn't even really interested in that. And I remember learning my first trick thinking, this is dumb. No one's going to be fooled by this. Basically, because magic tricks are, I mean, if you've never learned to perform a magic trick um, and you've only watched great magic, then you just go like, wow, that seems impossible. I have no idea how you do that. And then once you learn the secrets to these tricks, it's very easy sometimes to go, oh, that's it. Mm -hmm. And so I think I kind of had that reaction of like, oh, that's it. No one's going to fall for that. Did it. My mom and dad completely were blown away. Had no idea how I did it. And it was the first time that I remember someone else looking at me with wonder, like being in awe of something that I had done. And that kind of got me hooked on magic. And so, yeah, long story short, I started performing a lot. Um, when I was about 13, 14 years old, started traveling full time. My principal pulled my parents aside and were basically like, Hey, he's missing too many classes. Like we recommend you either slow down on the travel a little, or we recommend homeschooling. That's a great option. We love what he does. We're very supportive. Maybe you should homeschooling. So my friends all joked around, said I was hotel schooled because I (laughs) was traveling full time, but did a homeschooling program in hotels. Um, but yeah, traveling around the world by 18, I'd Performed in almost all 50 states by request and started doing tours in Europe and Asia and Canada, performing on a cruise ship. And by 21, I'd traveled around the world, made a million dollars doing magic shows. And um, there's so much I could talk about that year. It was a pretty pinnacle year, but Mm -hmm. left my small town, moved to Nashville, uh, built a house, parked two nice expensive cars in the driveway. It was the American dream. And a year later, found myself basically bankrupt. And feeling pretty empty. And I'm like, how do you go from making a million dollars by 21 to bankrupt by 22? And how do I go from thinking life is all about assessing, looking at the world around you going, what do I want? And then getting those things that you want and then feeling totally empty after you get them. Yeah. And so I, I kind of had this like really angry season where I was like, mad at myself because you you kind of feel dumb right because when you're like oh the world says drive this car hang out with these celebrities live in this part of town mm-hmm. and life's going to be awesome so what am i missing because life doesn't feel so awesome and so went to bed every night thinking like i got tricked into believing some stuff that isn't true where do these lies come from and mm-hmm. that's an interesting question where do lies come from yeah. when you trick people for a living and that is when I began to notice this correlation, really, between how magic tricks work and how all lies work. Mm. And so that happened when I was twenty-one, twenty-two. And I, man, I set out on this like passionate mission to expose everything in the world that was fake,
0: conspiracy theorists, uh, anything. <laughs> I was like conspiracy theorists, <laughs> psychics, yeah. like
1: people who take advantage of people, run scams, con men, pickpocketers, yeah. advertising schemes, like anything in the world that was fake or misleading all of a sudden I had this like passion overflowing out of me to expose it. And I had this really cool tool of being a magician. I could perform illusions and then draw the parallel going, look, this is how easy it is for you to be deceived. It's not because you are not smart. You're not tricked easily because you aren't smart. It's because most of us don't think, and we don't become aware of the fact that there are things in this world that are trying to deceive us and spend a lot of time talking about how in America, we take in about four to 5,000 messages and ads a day, which obviously can't all be true because a lot of them disagree with each other. So how do we figure out what to believe and all the choices we make, we make a lot of times because it, like if you talk to, I would, I was speaking at a lot of public schools in that time and every now and then I would do an assembly do a show for all the student body. And then they would, the principal sometimes would be like, Hey, you want to come do a couple tricks for the kids in suspension or whatever, detention, whatever they <laughs> called it in school suspension. Mm-hmm. And I we go into the room and we talk about the choices and, talk I'd say like yeah. Hey, just talked to all your peers about how they got tricked into making the choices they made how how did you make this choice that you feel like landed you in this room and regardless of how we got there it always got to a part where they would say I don't know man I guess it felt like a good idea at the time you know once they yeah. realized it was the wrong choice they're like in the moment it seemed like a good idea it looked like a good idea sounded like a good idea and that's what I've really learn from magic tricks is that things are not always as they seem and that just because something looks right or sounds true or feels good doesn't mean it is and that this all might seem completely irrelevant to your question of what is real magic but when you spend a decade of your life passionately exposing everything in the world that isn't real Mm -hmm. it is really easy to forget what is real Uh, so I basically spent a decade traveling around going I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. That's totally fake. That's a scam. No one can trust those people. And then you get to 30 and you go, what What do I believe in? What is real? And it was pretty apathetic, pretty cynical, very, very cynical, very unhealthy place of cynicism. And around the same time, I had, I had made this really stupid mistake, fire breathing at a 4th of July event, oh, wow. which is something that a lot of magicians do. You know, not the mistake part, but we a lot of us, Fiery, fire eat, fire There's a lot of, you know, Consuming background and like, fire. yeah, yeah. Playing with fire all yeah. the time. And I burned my face, set my face on ah, fire for about eight seconds. Wow. And, um, yeah, I was laying on the couch feeling sorry for myself, ready to quit magic, thinking Harris, why do you do this stuff? Um, and that's when I realized like I had forgotten I was ready to quit cause I didn't even know why I had lost my sense of purpose. I was like, why do I do this stuff? And as I'm asking myself these questions, I look down at my living room floor at my son, who is not even one yet, who's rolling around, learning how to crawl, learning how to walk, and he is seeing magic everywhere. Hmm. And in this you know, mundane things that we take for granted, like blowing bubbles, I remember we would sit out back and blow bubbles. And I remember looking at him and thinking, he's not seeing bubbles. I know these are bubbles. I know the chemistry behind what makes these bubbles. He's not seeing bubbles. He's just seeing magic. And that's when it began to hit me, the irony that people like you would call people like me a magician. And they would refer to the stuff that they see me perform on a stage as magic, even though it's not really magic. I'm not a sorcerer, like witchcraft person. I'm like, I don't know how to make stuff actually levitate and create the illusion of it, right? Mm -hmm. Which means you can't see an illusionist perform magic. Mm -hmm. You can watch them perform tricks. So what, what is the magic? And that's when I realized the magic is something that you feel. It's that sense of childlike wonder um, when what's possible or impossible kind of gets blurred when you question, when you have that experience that can't be put into words, mm-hmm. um, when your imagination gets stirred. You know, It's like you talk to someone who went to see their favorite band that they've mm-hmm. waited their entire life to see, and you go, hey, how was the show last night? And they're just like, oh, it was... Uh, it's like you see them struggle to find the words yeah. and sometimes you just land on it was magical. Mm-hmm. Well, will define that. I don't know. That's the word I go to when I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah. So to me real magic is something that I am I now use my work and its all aspects and variety of ways these days. Um it's something that I I try to help people believe in. You know Roald Dahl famously said that those who don't believe in magic will never find it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that when I say the phrase real magic or post it as a hashtag, they kind of roll their eyes in cynicism and they're like, really? Like it's time for you to grow up, isn't it? Like real magic, like Santa Claus. And I'm like, no, nope, you don't get it. You're, right. you're saying I'll believe in magic when I see it. And I'm saying you can't see it because some things you have to believe in before you can see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and your I'll believe it when I see it attitude is actually makes it even easier for you to be deceived because magic tricks have taught me that seeing is not believing.
0: Mm, amen. So
1: what you see is not always what you get. Things aren't always as they seem. Yeah. It really is easy to be deceived.
0: Yeah. And you had to go through this super dark night of the soul, like cynical, nihilistic yeah. kind of place to get yeah. through to the other side of that.
1: Yeah, because I mean, I mean, I had already had a kid. So clearly, mm-hmm. the process of having a child, and even though I I do specifically remember that moment of like holding Jude in my arms mm-hmm. in the hospital, thinking like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe this is like feels miraculous and mm-hmm. magical, but I was so cynical that it wasn't able to overcome. It's like the tide wasn't strong enough to shift my heart back to a place of magic, believing in magic, and so it really took that dark night of the soul that setting my face on fire and reaching the end of my rope, going, why do I do this? What's my purpose in life? <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, and not only, like, the miracle of him, but when you got to the place of actually seeing through his eyes yes, was when you could yes, reconnect exactly. to that. Exactly. And that's, like, that whole, you know, child, childish, okay, we can agree childish, maybe not good, but yes. childlike. Yeah, exactly.
1: Right? Yeah, I think that's why people struggle with childlike things is because they hear childish and go, I don't want to be childish, you know, but yet. We're told to grow up and become men and women and be wise and make better choices, and that is all true. But as we grow up, we also lose some childlike tendencies and things that have huge impacts on our life and work. And that wonder, that belief in magic, that wonder, that childlike sense of wonder, especially, I mean, that can transform everything from our work to our leadership to our creativity to how we live and raise and parent children Mm -hmm. there's nothing that wonder does not transform
0: absolutely i just wrote a blog post recently about like this it really embodied experience of shifting from like oh yeah i'm grateful for this thing that's it's a nice thing that i have in my life i'm grateful for it to when you combine gratitude and wonder it just deepens the experience in such a huge way because you're like Wait what? Like I get to do this thing, and I was kind of saying like it's the difference between walking into my library full of books, and I'm you know imagine myself like Belle in Beauty and the Beast just mm-hmm. on my ladder, and I mean it, how cool that I have this room of books. Yeah. But normally I might be like, oh how that's great that I have these, and then I you know have the education that I can enjoy and read them. But to walk into that room and go, what? Yeah, I have all of these and like put thumb through the spines and just like. Mm-hmm that's what wonder does to an everyday experience.
1: Yeah. It's a, when wonders awake, you, it allows you to see the magic in everything. You know, I was, we were walking through the mall a couple years ago and dad, my son goes, dad, I want to ride the magic stairs. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you mean? He goes over there. And he pointed at the escalator Um, and it's like to him, he doesn't understand the mechanics of an escalator. So he just calls them magic stairs, which means to him they were magical, (laughs) but why are they not magical to me? It's like, I'm going upstairs and I'm not moving my legs, you know, like, and how many people had to innovate and fight through breakthroughs to get to the point where we're like, how, why would they not get stuck? Or how do they like interlock with each other? I'm like, if you just think of something as simple as an escalator, I don't know why my mind went to that example, but I mean, that escalator is like, we should be in awe that, right. that the human brain created something like that. Yeah. And yet, we just go up the escalator like, no big deal. It's just, yeah. it's just an escalator. right? But there is no just anything. Like, there is magic in it all. And so wonder allows you to sort of have that gratitude towards like, man, it's pretty sweet that I'm going up right now to the second level. And I don't have to wait for an elevator and I don't have to move my feet.
0: Right, yeah, I can't remember which comedian it is who has kind of a bit on airplanes and how it's like we're oh, sitting yeah. here like Louis C.K. I think. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. just like bitching about <laughs> you know a thirty-minute flight delay. You're flying thirty thousand feet in the air through a metal tube, like
1: while what? watching movies and surfing the internet, yeah. and answering your emails. Yeah,
0: like it's it is it is magical, and and that's why magic and science are not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. So you said that believing in that which you cannot see. Mm-hmm. And and of course that makes me think of faith and spirituality and religion sure. and and I imagine that that had to have been kind of mixed up in that whole phase of of your life of confusion yeah. and all of that. So anything you want to share just about how your your faith journey has kind of tied into that or or where you've sort of landed with this spiritually of being able to like really, call out the things that are not real and mm-hmm. not authentic because hypocrisy and all of that is a very real thing in, in our sort of modern interpretation of sure. religion. But that doesn't mean that it's all bad. So yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, what you have to say about and
1: that. we uh, we have we have hours right to talk about this. Right? Yeah, <laughs> at least nine minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting when you talk to a magician about spirituality and faith because the majority of my industry consists of people who have what they would call no religious views or spirituality, even though that, I guess you could say that even in that of itself is a religious view. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of atheism um, or atheistic type worldviews within the magic community because of the fact that we're so aware of deception. You know, if like if I had... Um, if I had a dollar for every time someone has come up to me and said, well, I had this experience in this place. And then you hear them describe that experience and you realize, oh, this is an illusion. Like this is a magic trick or the number of times that I've been in another country in a superstitious culture. Uh, Actually a true, true version of that story. Um, I was in Sri Lanka in 2001 and let this door slam behind you, so you can edit it out if you want. Uh, I was in Sri Lanka in 2001, and in the show we were performing this trick where this like old table levitated. And this guy came up to us after the show, saying, "Hey, where'd you get the table?" And I was like, "Why? Why are you asking?" He was, "Well, you borrowed it from the guy in my village." And I was like, "No, <laughs> don't even know who you are or what village you live in." And long story short, we do the show, we go visit this guy, and there's a guy in his table or a guy in his town who has a table that looks like ours was doing the same trick. He was a sort of like Buddhist extremist sort of cult leader um, and was doing these seances, supposedly getting information from spirits to control the choices and decisions of the people in his community, but was doing a magic trick. Wow. And, And then once he found out that we were magicians from America, wanted us to like pass along some more secrets so he could expand his repertoire of tricks basically. And I think that has led to a lot of magicians having a really difficult time with the concept of faith because we hear people of faith of various religions describe these experiences that they will take to their grave swearing are real, and then we go interact with psychics and spirit mediums and witch doctors and fortune tellers, and they come to our conferences and read our books and take our classes, and we go, gosh, if, if every 99 of these examples out of a hundred is fake, it's pretty hard to believe that there's that one individual one that just might be real. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think they kind of just end up writing off the entire supernatural world um, completely. And so I think that's where I was after growing up a little in my as my late teenage years, my early twenties, I got to this place of where I was in that season of cynicism where I started to like allow the faith that I grew up with as a kid. That was kind of like hammered into me growing up in the Bible Belt, Mm -hmm. let that slip away a little bit. Um, And, you know, it's interesting to use the word hypocrisy because I think that shaped some of my worldview in my early 20s. I was going, you know, how not only am I experiencing a lack of experience uh, in the world with the supernatural or experiences that I would label as spiritual in my elementary worldview at the time, but in addition to that, you also have the opposite thing working against you because you have the hypocrisy of those who claim to believe in this supernatural world and what they say that they believe does not line up with the actions that they live with. And so I was ready to just kind of flush the whole thing down the toilet. And then I went through that season where I was bankrupt and, um, was asking a lot of questions about what's fake and what's real. And that's when I sort of start to dug into the faith in my past to figure out if it was rooted in anything genuine or not. Um, we could spend the next few hours, I guess, <laughs> talking about everything from, like, apologetics and how do you test the inerrancy of an ancient book of scriptures uh, to talking about archaeological findings and digs. And, I mean, when when you combine all of that science with just a basic approach to philosophy, um, I keep saying to make a long story short, and then I go on and on and on, so it ends up being a long story anyway, but... To make a very long story as short as I can, it, it led me back to a place where I have to go, gosh, it almost takes, for me, it took more faith to not believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a different version of faith than I grew up with. Maybe I wouldn't even say a different version. I, I would say that my faith is expressed differently and means something differently to me now at the age of 35 mm-hmm. than uh, I feel like my parents' faith might mean to them or certainly that my faith meant to me at age six or seven. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answers your question yeah, at all, but that's, yeah. that's kind of where I am. It's like, it was there cause it was drilled into me right. and then I grew up and then I started to lose it. And now I feel like it's back and stronger than ever.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, and I always appreciate a good lost and found story, <laughs> you know, that I don't know. It's when we just kind of swallow the medicine we're given without ever going through a period of questioning it and mm-hmm. finding our own our yeah. own kind of lens through which we're viewing that, um, it's it doesn't feel really grounded. So I think sometimes we do have to lose it. And, and sometimes people throw the baby out with the bathwater and and they never find their way back to anything. But I think that we're also living in a really interesting time where the, the bounds of what is spiritual are expanding. So people who mm-hmm. maybe don't feel like they fit in a particular box are still allowing themselves to do that exploration and have that mean something in their lives, even if it's not showing up to the same place every Sunday morning.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's the way it was for me. It's just a willingness to, and, and that open-mindedness that I was about to speak to. It, it goes back to what we were talking about with wonder. I grew up with this, Hey, truth is black and white and it is absolute and you can trust it regardless of how it makes you feel. And then, I was like, well, what are, there's still some mysteries that we just don't understand. But everything that would be fit into a category of mysterious spirituality or a mysterious God made my super strong black and white evangelical upbringing people very nervous, right? Because mm-hmm. they're like, we need something concrete that we can trust. And I'm like, what if there is some truth that is absolute, that can be trusted, that is pretty black and white? But what if that is not the fullest picture of everything there is to know about God or a divine being, or what if he can be mysterious and what has been revealed can also be true. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, that was a, a healthier position because it allowed me to look at God as a creator and go, wow, I can be in awe of you and trust what you have revealed to us at the same time. I can lean into the tension and the discomfort that I feel of the fact that there's so many unknowns. Um, while also holding on to what I know to be true. Um, and that, that combination of those two things somehow has allowed me to come out on the other side with enough faith um, to believe in the things that I don't know and to be comfortable leaning into the mystery. Mm-hmm. And as far as the hypocrisy is concerned, I think a lot of that was just growing up. Because it's easy when you're young, um, before you've had a dark night of the soul, to look at everything in the world around you and judge and go, Ah, so much hypocrisy. I can't believe in you. Whatever it is that you say you believe in, I can't believe in that because look at the way that you live your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got to the point where I had to look in the mirror and go, dang, like, who am I? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I I am messed up and broken and have Mm -hmm. so many questions and have failed so much. And so to me, part of the beauty of the Christian faith that I came back to was coming to this realization that, oh, wow, like it's actually – I don't want to get too, like, christian I I don't know what type—I don't even—I just should have (laughs) clarified what type of podcast this is. But, but, you know, there's this concept that Christians refer to as the gospel. Um, It's—what made it so beautiful to me was, unlike so many other spiritual worldviews where you have to sort of get your own life straight or you have to develop some sort of spiritual practice to be made right, to stand before whatever judge is judging you— um, with Christianity and the, this picture and story of the gospel, there was this there was this beauty in God going like, oh, you're right. None of you are perfect. Like mm-hmm. if I left this all to you on your own, like you would destroy everything. Um, yeah. But gosh, you're also so, so amazing. And I know that because I made you. And so I'm going to do this little rescue mission. Um, mm-hmm. And I know you can't even comprehend me because I'm God and the spirit being and so mysterious. And so that's what, fascinated me about the life of Jesus is like all of a sudden God was this human being, um, which I also maybe wondered if he was a magician, you know, that was during my crisis of faith and turning water into wine. Obviously he's a magician. Yeah. I mean, like if a, (laughs) if a dude in Sri Lanka can convince people that he's interacting with spirits because he has a good magic trick, maybe Jesus is like one of the world's best magicians and people were so gullible that they looked at him and were like, Whoa, he must be God. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then I realized, I just came to the realization like with the lack of technology that he had access to, um, the stuff that he performed, there was no explanation. Like there's no way it was a magic trick. Mm-hmm. And way too many people. Yeah, exactly. And way too many people died believing in those mm-hmm. things, you know, including him, right? So, hey, and the, his followers, the disciples, whatever you want to call them. I mean, the fact that they all went to the grave being willing to die for what they believed in. You would think at some point, if they were all con men, <laughs> one of them would have just said, Okay, I give up. Here's the secret, you know, we've yeah. been faking it this whole time. Yeah, and so I think it's a combination of can we trust the historical recordings? Yeah, um, and there's a lot of people who don't who w- who would not believe in a religious worldview who could still argue like, yeah, there's some historical recordings in the Bible that that we can trust. Mm-hmm. And so if that's an accurate picture of history, and then how do you interpret those stories? As a magician, I looked at the life of Jesus and thought. At this point, yeah, I have questions. There's no certainty, mm-hmm. but I think uh, that's what faith is. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that faith and certainty coexist, and I'm like, mm-hmm. no, that's that's what faith is: is to be uncertain, but to feel like this is, I guess, the direction I want to lean, and I'm going to have faith that in the rest of the parts that I don't know. So to me, it took less faith to believe that Jesus was who he said he was mm-hmm. than it did to not. And if, you, if he was who he said he was, well, now all of a sudden you have to take all these things that he said very seriously, right? Mm-hmm. And so I got off on a rabbit trail there. But <laughs> yeah, to to look at the life of Jesus, who was literally this person who said, man, I'm going to come and I'm just going to die for you guys so that you don't have to. this Because of this holy picture of God, to me, that became this really beautiful picture. And mm-hmm. the hypocrisy that I once felt made me realize like, oh, so I'm one of those like imperfect people who has my own junk and right. garbage that I've had to walk through. And so, yeah, we're yeah. all, we're, we are not, we're not excuses to not believe in God. Um, if anything, we're going, yeah, we're messed up too. That's actually why we believe in him. Yeah. yeah. I explained that very poorly, but hopefully that no, makes sense. No, <laughs> no, that
0: was great. I'm just, uh, I don't know when you have a hard stop at cause I'm like, we're good. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, and I think that talking about the the stories of the gospel and the stories of of and teachings of Jesus, as someone who knows very little, I like went to Sunday school through you know second grade, <laughs> <laughs> and then I found eventually found my path to Unitarian Universalism, and and uh, so there's parts of it that I'm like I I don't even. I can't even say that I disagree because I don't know it well enough to Mm -hmm. whatever I might be disagreeing with might not actually be the thing that's... So, you know, like the idea of um, we're all imperfect 100% and we're still whole and lovable anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Still inherently worthy. Um, The the whole original sin thing, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about that. But anyway, so like the, the... those stories. And like you said, we know that there are some historical accounts. We know that there are some incredible stories. And I think what, what some people would say is, okay, well, maybe we don't know if 100% of these stories that were authored by imperfect humans, Mm -hmm. we don't know if they're all (laughs) literal, right? Like Mm -hmm. Noah's Ark. I mean, Mm -hmm. so, but but there's still so much that we can learn from them, right? Mm-hmm. Which which kind of takes us to that idea of the impact of story. And mm-hmm. I wonder, like, when did you sort of really start to stand in, I am a storyteller?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I wish I had some genius answer that made me sound <laughs> this, like this really smart, intelligent person, uh, but it wasn't even intentional. It was accidental. Yeah. People were coming up to me all the time over the years saying, gosh, don't get me wrong. And they were almost like apologetic, like they were going to offend me. They were like, don't get me wrong, you're a great magician, but, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I legit don't think they were dishing the, the magic tricks. It's like, you're a great magician, but you're an incredible storyteller. You're a great communicator. And so I was like, why do people keep saying this? I don't even know what it, it means to be a good storyteller. And so I thought if people are going to say I'm good at this, then maybe I could become great at this. And so I started studying storytelling and through that process realized that, Storytelling is not just someone saying, Once upon a time, I this. It's not just a film. It's not just a book. That everything is story. You and I are sitting here telling stories to each other, um, and other people are listening in. But then, even when this podcast ends, this story that we're talking about right now continues because people are going to leave and continue to tell themselves a story about what they think that they heard from this. Um, And the cars they're driving in while they're listening to this, that car tells a story whether they like it or not, whether it's a true one or not. Um, Is it
0: on brand? (laughs) Is it on brand?
1: Yeah. I mean, nothing. no one understands that more than millennials, I think, right? But that's why we're drawn to certain brands. It's why advertisers have tapped into storytelling because they know that I can establish a narrative in your life that makes you go, oh, I am not the full expression of who I am as a person unless I wear this brand, drive these kinds of cars, wear these types of clothes. wear this makeup or this scent on my body or these shoes or, yeah, it's all, we're all crafting this narrative, this story that we're trying to tell through the way that we live our lives. And, mm-hmm. um, again, I, that's why I love the subject matter of this podcast because it, it ties right back into these types of conversations around spirituality because everything is a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, even when cavemen were sitting around, I wasn't there, so I don't know what they did or everything they <laughs> talked about. Um, but you might think like, oh, it wasn't about storytelling back then. It was about survival. Well, don't eat red berry. Why? Mm. Because today, hike through forest, eat red berry made my stomach very bad, right? Story. Like That's a story. The the only way for me to communicate data, mm. and, and you would think that d- communicating data is like one of the opposites of storytelling, even when it comes down to me communicating just a basic list of facts, I can't even do that and help you understand it without putting meaning around it and purpose Mm -hmm. around it. So story story is like the operating system of our brains. It's how we organize information. It's how we make sense of everything in the world around us. So in many ways, we are storytelling creatures. Um, I can't think of the author's name right now, which I hate because I love supporting authors. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a great book called The Storytelling Animal Mm -hmm. uh, that I just finished reading. And in that book, uh, he makes a great case for how, you know, just the science behind, like, if as animals... Mm-hmm. Walking around, uh, human beings, whatever Homo sapiens, whatever we are, um, we are we are the storytelling creatures. That stories are rooted to everything from meaning and purpose to survival. Mm-hmm. Uh, that stories—the reason he would even argue that the reason we would go to watch a story on a screen or read a story in the book um, is about survival, because essentially what we're doing is it's our way of practicing and rehearsing. You telling yourself a story keeps you from making mistakes. You might, if you're at a job that you hate because your boss is a jerk, you go, oh, I want to kick him in the crotch right now. What keeps you from kicking him in the crotch? Well, because you, whether you realize it or not, your subconscious goes ahead and plays that story out. Yep. You may not be able to go back and remember it because it happens so fast, but you go, okay, I can see the part where I kick him in the crotch. And then I can see the part where he goes, you're fired. And then I see packing up my stuff and having to call my mom. And then I go, It's probably not a good idea. I probably shouldn't do that.
0: In AA, they call it play the tape through. Play the tape through. So,
1: yeah, to use that verbiage, essentially we are are walking around all day long making choices because without our full conscious realization of it, our subconscious is playing the tape through constantly. Mm -hmm. And then once we go to sleep at night after telling ourselves stories all day, our mind stays up and tells ourselves stories all night,
0: which is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. is
1: so we just can't. No, it's just who we yeah. are. We are stories. We are storytellers.
0: And I love that that kind of um, synthesis. And because I'm always saying, well, we're meaning making machines. We're always making meaning. But it's like, hello, that story. Mm-hmm. You know, that story is not limited to this fictional world or someone who <clears throat> feels really like you know. Even asking you that question of standing in your identity as a storyteller, it's like. We all are. It's like that idea of of identifying as an artist or, or as a creative person. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth Gilbert and many others are like, uh, guys, if you're breathing right now, you're creative. Exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. And even, I mean, that's how most religious books start, including the Bible. It said once upon a time, basically in the beginning, God. And then what did God do? He created, you know. And so for the Christian worldview, it's no surprise that we all walk around trying to Find meaning through creation because the Bible would teach us that we're created in the image of God. So we are image bearers of the one who made us in the same way that a can of soup sitting on a shelf in the grocery store bears the image of whoever made that soup. Um, And therefore we do whatever the person who created us did. So he created us and then now we create. It's just, it's in us. And I think that
0: that reality is you know, expands beyond the bounds of, of Christianity too. Like Mm -hmm. it's just part of being a human, whatever your lens is that you're looking at that from. Agreed. Yeah. What's something that you've had to let go of to grow as a storyteller?
1: Yeah. My cynicism for sure. A lot of those preconceived notions and assumptions about knowing that I have all the answers. Right. And I think any spiritual worldview or religious uh, Mindset—it's a get you get to a really dangerous point where you go, oh well, we are the ones that have all the answers, um, and that is not to say there's there's nothing wrong. And I, you could even say that I, when it's appropriate, I even sometimes do that and say like, hey, I I would I would feel overjoyed if you began to be more open-minded to what I believe, because obviously I have the faith that I have because that's where I've landed and feel like, wow, I feel like this is. I hate to use the word right, but like, I feel like obviously I believe this is right. It's really working for true. you. True. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's so Good. like, okay, this is what I find to be most true. Mm-hmm. Therefore, this is what I've shaped my belief system out of. Um, so there's nothing wrong with trying to make a case for what you believe mm-hmm. for the sake of transforming the life of someone that you think could be served better by believing what you believe. However, I think you always need to do that with. Uh, a very humble approach mm-hmm. because it gets really dangerous where you go, well, not only do what I believe uh, trumps whatever you believe, but even how I believe it and all the thoughts that I have surrounding it are all the correct and right thoughts. Um, and, I mean, if, if I'm fine picking on Christians because, um, <laughs> like, they're worthy of being picked on. But, I mean, Christianity has, or Christians themselves, like the church, they've gotten it wrong a lot over the years. Um, and, I mean, you could take just slavery as one example. Yeah. You look at slavery and go, clearly that was missed. Uh, I don't think it invalidates the Christian worldview because it's, it's pretty simple to go back and look at the Christian teaching mm-hmm. and go, how in the world did you read this right. or study this and arrive at this kind of behavior and think that was okay? Um, so it doesn't invalidate the Christian worldview, but it does make you go— okay, regardless, there was some pretty smart, intelligent people who stood by and made a strong case for why they felt like they should be able to own slaves. Yeah. And somehow they, we all saw the light. So what is it right now that we're going, oh, I'll go to my grave with this? It's like, hold hold yeah. that pretty humbly. Right. Be willing to allow that sense of childlike wonder to stay awake in you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that mirrors the creative process. Yeah. Back to your original question, because it allows... Creating is really seeing something... Um, and helping other people see something that they don't currently see or creating something that doesn't currently exist. Um, and really that's what storytellers do. Walt Disney's character in the film Saving Mr. Banks, which I'm told the screenplay writer wrote off of, obviously they had to get to know, she listened, Must I can't only imagine how many hours of tape listening to Walt Disney talk about his worldview and how he f- told stories and why he told stories. And it got sort of synthesized into a statement in that film where he said, that's what we storytellers do. We restore order with imagination Mm -hmm. and instill hope again and again and again. And hope I think is, has ties to religious views. It it even sounds like a, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, why, why would this businessman Mm -hmm. who told stories, made movies and built theme parks, talk about hope? Mm -hmm. That's pretty deep. That's a deep purpose for someone who makes movies. And it, because that, that's what he felt like storytellers do is he gives people hope, but he does that by restoring order with imagination. So that's what I think creators do. It's what storytellers do. We look at a world, we look at things that we feel like are broken or messed up. We restore order among that brokenness and that mess. We restore order with imagination, which means we tell a story that helps people reimagine what might be possible. Mm. And that becomes a birthplace of hope.
0: You know, and I'm trying to, like, watch my own cynical mind because a minute ago when you were using that example of slavery and, and like, how, okay, well, this probably wasn't what was meant by, you know, this <laughs> passage or whatever. Um, and just, like, that there are people who are in power who may, not all of them, but many of them may call themselves Christians, and yet they are supporting policies that pe- keep people, that, that support our system of mass mm-hmm. incarceration that is, you know, Mm -hmm. largely incriminating black and brown people. Mm -hmm. And, and so in essence, then telling themselves the story that like, well, no, we're just doing the right thing because this is the law and they're not telling themselves a story that's actually accurate and based on the history. And so then taking that to like restoring order with imagination is like we are at this crossroads of really having to imagine what might a world look like that Actually, actually abolishes slavery, yeah. and all yeah. of the everything that's come as a result.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking to watch, and at the same time, I have hope because there's also some incredible people of the Christian faith that are quite literally leading the charge on mm-hmm. abolishing slavery worldwide. And yeah. so, you know, the Christian church gets it wrong so often, and so many times we also uh, take the lead on trying to correct the path. And yeah. um, it's a, a lot of this comes back to kind of what I was saying about how easy it is to be deceived we're all a product of our upbringing we all grow up parenting is storytelling I've learned (laughs) every day I'm trying to get my five year old to believe a story uh, about himself yeah so that he will believe it and live it out and for the rest of his life he's going to get messages and bullies and advertisers who are going to say you are not this unless you do this or have this and they're going to tell him a story that's very different than the one I'm telling him and so I'm fighting for him to believe that the story that I'm telling him is worth believing so that mm-hmm. he can be who he's meant to be and live as full his fullest as potential. Um, yeah. And so therefore I think there's a lot of people that, you know, Christian is a really horrible label. Um, it's labels really fail, especially when it comes to religious. You take yeah. even a bookstore, for example, like if you go to a quote unquote Christian bookstore, like a Lifeway store or something, oh, I heard they're all closing or something. So mm-hmm. there's not going to be many left. But if you think about like, Hey, What's on the sign? This is a bookstore that's Christian. But yeah, if you go in that bookstore, there are multiple books sitting side by side that completely disagree about what it means to be a Christian. Totally. So that means that one of them is either lying or maybe we should just stop with the labels that maybe Christian is a is a good noun but not a good adjective, yeah. that maybe it's something that you can be, but you shouldn't use it to describe your stuff. Um, and it, it allows us to... I think, have a healthier approach to someone going, well, how could I possibly believe in Buddhism? Because look at those Buddhists in Sri Lanka that are making tables float and tricking people into believing in Buddha or whatever, or look at these Muslims in whatever. Like, I can't believe anyone would ever believe and have an Islamic faith because I can't believe they walked in and did this suicide bombing. It's like, well, they're all products of their upbringing. That label is failing at describing people. Um, So why don't we see them as humans first Mm -hmm. and then maybe sit down and over a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, understand what they mean Mm -hmm. when they say faith.
0: And I totally agree with that. And I think that we've got to see each person as an individual and understand that everyone's interpreting things through their own own story, their own lens. And even though I've been at points in my life where I probably bristled at that word because of some of the people that I saw who used that word. But then Mm -hmm. when I'm like, oh, wait there's Rob Bell Christians and there's Anne Lamott Christians. And there's like, uh, mm-hmm. then, then it's, it's like, okay, it, we're just talking about what is, mm-hmm. what is the individual? And and I agree that the label is not always very helpful.
1: Yeah. It was, yeah, it's yeah. actually, uh, Rob Bell, wrote his, his first book I think was called Velvet Elvis. Um, and in that book, he, he wrote that line where he said Christian is, I forgot exactly what to said it, but it was, it's, a good noun. It's a terrible adjective. Mm at that time, I was having this frustrating season because here I was coming back to my childhood roots of a Christian faith, and all I had these non-Christian friends that were kind of making fun of me, going like, "Oh, he's like a Christian illusionist now. He's like a Christian magician." And they would use things like, "Oh, CCM. He's into CCM now." I was like, mm. "I'm not a musician." They'd be like, "No, contemporary Christian magic." And I was like, <laughs> "Guys, like, geez, who knew I would be bullied so much right? in my early 20s for my yeah. faith?" But Um, I think the reason it felt so uncomfortable, I'm like, why, why are we trying to categorize art? Like, and I think, you know, suburbs came around, the world exploded. We started having, living in a media saturated culture. Parents freaked out and go, I don't want my kids listening to this music or watching these kind of movies. So let's create like these streams of art and entertainment that's safe for them to consume. Mm -hmm. And it was coming from a good place. It's like, I don't want my eight year old to watch a sex scene in Mm -hmm. a movie and now I can't know what he's going to hear on youtube or tv so now i'm only going to let him watch christian stuff mm-hmm. and so i think it came from a good place it came out of like healthy family values um but yeah it led to me going why am i a christian magician if my buddy who scores movies in la is not a christian musician right is it you pigeonholed. Mean, if he is a christian by faith and worldview but his music doesn't have lyrics what makes what makes music? What makes a musician a Christian musician? Like it right. just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Or what if it's a what if it's a musician who is a Christian but hates Christian music? What they would call <laughs> Christian music, but writes songs about love. Yeah, is love a Christian? Sure. Like, right. Yeah. So who has yeah.
0: ownership over these universal exactly. concepts? Exactly.
1: Yeah. And, so yeah. I mean, like, let's just ditch the labels and. Right. Yeah. It's they've, funny. I was, they've led to so much misunderstanding oh, and judgment.
0: Yeah. I was just on a call with a mentor earlier today and she was like, "Yeah, I listen to Christian music all the time and, and but I wouldn't I, I don't necessarily identify as a Christian, but I find this music to be so uplifting the messages that it's sharing hmm. are so in alignment and even though, you know, I might not subscribe to all of the things, mm-hmm. I find so much value in that." And so hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we got to start rounding the bend, but I obviously (laughs) we need to hear about story in terms of what you do with Story Podcast and the conference coming up. I know some of the presenters have just been announced.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's amazing. Well, I, in addition to traveling and performing and speaking, um, I founded a company called Astoria Collective. Astoria is actually an old Greek slash Italian Renaissance word for the word story. Um, and so our work was really around, Hey, I'm not just traveling around telling stories, um, to inspire people to think differently. I also started consulting and helping people tell their story. And then I kind of got, I was feeling a little defeated because I was like, I'm only in front of X number of people a year. I think at the time it was like 50 to a hundred thousand people a year. And that's, that's cool. Like, Oh wow. That's a chance to inspire a lot of people, but it's nothing compared to what I could do if I could have exponential impact by gathering other storytellers. So I had this vision of of gathering storytellers from different industries and multiple artists who work in different mediums to have to get together for a couple days and just talk about the power that we all have as storytellers. Steve Jobs said that storyteller is the most powerful person in the world. Hmm. If the most powerful person in the world is a storyteller and my goal is to impact and shape the future of our world and humanity, then I can think of no better path towards succeeding at that than gathering storytellers together reminding them of how powerful they are and after empowering them inspiring them to go out and continue making art telling stories so yeah story 2019 is coming up it's a two-day conference um it's here in nashville again so we have about a thousand to twelve hundred people um everything from creative directors from apple and google and disney to you know people who work in the tech space or nonprofit sector and to people who just work at communications to school teachers and professors and stay-at-home moms it's like mm-hmm. the gamut everyone awesome yeah
0: yeah i'm like waiting on one thing to get scheduled in the fall that's supposed to be <laughs> and i'm like better not be that weekend because i'm gonna be there last yeah. time i told you on my email i like bought my ticket and i was so jazzed and then someone emails me like a week and a half before the event and is like could you come and like teach this for us that this and i'm like it was such a great opportunity and i was so pissed that i had to miss <laughs> it but this year oh uh, yeah get there. you
1: would dig it, this year our, oh my gosh our theme is uh well, the,
0: i mean the video from last year was incredible i'll put it in the show notes like people have to go it's just like talk about wonder i mean yeah. that was the theme but yeah, yeah this year looks pretty incredible too
1: but even the subject matter of your podcast i mean our theme this year is between no longer and not yet and yeah. story is not I tend to be somewhat public about my faith and so therefore a lot of people misunderstand the story, but I mean, it has zero religious affiliation. We have no agenda to like, you know, change anyone's belief system um, about their religious views. Um, But we want to change the belief system about the role they play in the world of storytellers. And it's incredibly diverse. I was laughing because one year I looked out and saw the copywriting team from Victoria's secret Wow. sitting next to the writing team from uh, a very conservative religious organization called Focus on the Family. <laughs> and I'm like, these two are like politically, spiritually, they're probably like enemies of each other. But today they were laughing, high-fiving, getting along with each other, hanging out at a mm-hmm. conference um, because they were both talking about their shared passion around the role they play as storytellers. And awesome. So it's this really beautiful event. But, but the Between No Longer Not Yet theme was inspired by an, an old mystic, spiritual concept called liminal space Mm -hmm. Um, and that when you step out of something old but into something new but you feel caught in the in-between
0: you're in the hallway
1: yeah the hallway is like really frustrating and uncomfortable but the correlation between that and the creative process Mm -hmm. um, i mean there's so much work to to do as storytellers that can't be done unless we're willing to just sit in the liminal spaces
0: you can't skip that part exactly Mm -hmm.
1: yeah so between no longer and not yet can't wait. Awesome.
0: <laughs> so, Harris, what is the fucking point? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs>
1: that is a great question. Uh, you know, for me, my faith obviously informs that, as I'm sure everyone you ask that question to. Um, and it's sort of a trick answer, because I would say the point, I guess, is to, to glorify uh, the divine being that created me with my life. And I think from the outside looking in, people go, that sounds like what a selfish being that you're put on this earth to just spend the rest of your life, like glorifying that person. Um, but what I love about the Christian faith is that, uh, that divine being that we, that I would call God, um, finds his most joy when I am most joyful and fully alive. Um, and so it's this like win-win scenario of, you know, going back to that analogy I said earlier of whoever makes it is the one that gets to label the product. So it's like, I feel like if God made me in his image, then he gets to decide what my image is. But yet, his joy and my joy are linked when I'm being the fullest version of what he created me to be. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think there's any less joy or de- anything depressing in the fact that we're all walking around being called to worship this being. Because mm-hmm. that is also what makes me most fully alive.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And and for me, I feel like my my response is very similar in some ways. It's just it's semantics, it's sure words. So much of all this is, is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, like that. If if really my the thing that I can do while I'm here is to live the fullest version of the life that I was lucky enough that that sperm and that egg were like. <laughs> yes, let's do this, and. We'll call it whatever you want to call it. And in this conference I was at over the weekend, it was, you know, that word divine assignment kept coming up. Hmm. And so then at the end of the day, I was I had to go get this tattoo. That I was accept quick. I accept. That I was mean, quick. I knew I needed something along this line. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, so I'm really feeling that. And it's it feels very similar to what you're saying. Is, yeah. But you know, that, that living into to the fullest extent of what I was put here to do. Yeah,
1: Yeah. once your childlike wonder is awakened, you realize of how much life of life is a gift. Mm-hmm. And I think if it's a gift, then there has to be like a gift giver of some kind, um, which is why I, d- I just can't get to the point to have enough faith to believe that it's all pointless and random happenstance. Um, and I think that, you know, if those are gifts from a God being, then what we do with him is kind of like our gift back to him and yeah. to each other. Um, and so... Yeah, I think the point is to not waste it all, mm-hmm. to not go through it all, going through the motions and then to get to the end and be like, wow, man, now I wish I would have gone back. Amen. It's time. You can't get it back. Yep. So make it count.
0: Mm hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I will put all the story uh, conference <laughs> links and everything in the show notes, but just tell people really quick in case they are too lazy to sure, go look at the yeah. show notes. Where do they go to buy tickets? Yeah,
1: our annual event is story2019.com. Uh, cool. So it's story2019. You can learn more about story at storygatherings.com. Um, my company is astoria.com. We have a whole group of partners that are doing amazing work around the world. And then I'm uh, at Harris the Third on all socials and that's my website as well harris at third.com awesome. so three eyes, like the roman numeral three great. i had a kid come up recently and be like were you a prince i'm like <laughs> no actually i'm a third my dad is not royalty uh <laughs> we just gave each other the same name that's i
0: great. guess <laughs> oh thank you so much harris this was awesome it's my pleasure OMG, friend, you made it all the way to the end of the episode. It is truly an honor that you've chosen to spend this time with me. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can find show notes for this and other episodes at ValerieKMartin.com slash podcast. And that's just the letter K. And just to make it a little confusing, you can find me on Instagram at Val K Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin spelled out. I love getting DMs from you guys about what you're enjoying in the podcast, questions, ideas for topics or interviews. And if you want to bring a huge smile to my face, leave a quick rating and review on apple podcasts it helps so much just go to bit.ly slash wtfpreview all lowercase and it'll take you less than a minute i'll see you next time and until then keep asking the big questions